0: Good morning. Hi. (laughs) Have you ever changed your mind about something? I'm right at this moment, seriously reconsidering my options this morning. But anyway, we'll carry on. I also once thought it was a good idea to grow my hair long in the days before straighteners. It grows out at very strange angles. And after growing it for months and months, I changed my mind. And not just changing my mind, but taking immediate action to get myself very quickly to the hairdressers. This morning, I'll be talking a bit more about changing our minds in a biblical context. So that story will be relevant, I promise. We're continuing our series um, in Acts, Jeremy and Jim have already spoken to us about Peter's sermon, which he gave after the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Peter has explained the significance of what the crowd has seen and heard. He explained the prophecies and scriptures that have been fulfilled in Jesus. And now we're going to find out how the crowd responds. Our passage this morning is Acts chapter 2, verses 3. 36 to 42, which Scott is going to read to us.
1: Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, the fellowship, and the breaking of bread and the prayers.
0: Thanks, Scott. So Peter concludes his sermon, as we heard from Jim last week, by telling the crowd that Jesus is in fact God and the promised Messiah that they've all been waiting for. God has made him both Lord and Christ and you crucified him. I'm actually quite impressed with the crowd's response to this. I was kind of expecting, no, not me, Gov, not us. I think you'll find it was Pilate slash the Romans slash the priests that did it. You can't prove anything. I wasn't even there. But I suspect the Holy Spirit, as it was poured out on the disciples, was also already at work in the crowd, and their reaction was to be cut to the heart. They are genuinely grieved by their part in crucifying Jesus. But what can they do? And thankfully, there is an answer for them. Repent and be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And that's a promise for everyone, as it says here, for them, their children, all who are far off, which includes us, by the way, and all whom the Lord calls himself. Peter continues to bear witness to the crowd I like to think of him telling all his best Jesus stories and exhorting them to be different not to conform to what he calls the crooked generation and the response is incredible, what a turnaround 3,000 souls now dedicated to the apostles teaching, fellowship, eating together and prayer the church is born now There is a lot of jargon used by Christians, and sometimes we just blindly use words which we think everyone will understand, but they don't, or that we've never really asked ourselves, but what do we mean by that? What I'd like to do with our time this morning is to look at two words that I think that applies to and ask two questions for each word. What does it mean, the definition? And what does it look like, the practicalities? I find these two words quite scary, but I hope that we'll all be less scared or intimidated by them when we've unpacked what they actually mean rather than what we think they mean. The two words are repentance and evangelism. Let's start with repentance. The first thing the crowd is told is that they need to repent. It's not a word that is really used outside of the Bible. We don't hear it in many everyday conversations. So my first question is, okay, we need to repent, but what does that even mean? I'm going to get all Greek and Hebrew on you now. One Hebrew word which is sometimes translated as repent is Neham, which has the connotation of being sorry. Or grieved. I think this is the definition which most often comes to mind when we think of repentance. To be repentant is to be really, really sorry for something. It grieves our heart. And I think that is part of it. In our passage, we read that the crowd was cut to the heart. But if that is all repentance is, all we end up with is guilt and shame and a sense of inadequacy. And it says in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, we need to be the right kind of sorry. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. But that's not all repentance means. Another Hebrew word for repent is teshuva, which literally means return. And it's often used in context of returning to God. When the people of Israel turned away and worshipped other gods or relied on other nations and didn't obey God's commands, they were urged again and again by many prophets to repent, to return to God. So maybe repentance includes turning away from some things in order to turn to God. My final word for you that is translated repentance is the Greek word metanoia, which means to change your mind, or a bit more fully, a transformative change of heart. So repenting is a change of mind, your thoughts, your heart, which leads to a change in actions, a change in how you live your life. Hence, the hairstyle story. I told you it would be relevant. I changed my mind, and rather just sit around regretting my choices, I went to the hairdresser, and now continue to go to the hairdresser on a regular basis. (laughs) I made the permanent change to my lifestyle, the evidence, the change of mind, that I really don't suit long hair. And I will now stop torturing that metaphor and move on. (laughs) The metanoia definition makes sense in the context of our passage to the crowds question of what can we do? Peter's response now has the meaning of change your mind about Jesus, start thinking of him as God and Messiah and show that change by getting baptised, being forgiven and living differently. I think we have our definition of repentance as a change of mind and heart, which turns us to God and is evidenced by actions. But what does that actually look like? First of all, I think there is an initial act of repentance that leads us to becoming a Christian in the first place, which can be either a dramatic change of heart or a gradual becoming more convinced in your mind that God is real and you want to turn to him. And as one of my friends put it, turning from living life your own way to living it God's way. And then I think there are continual acts of repentance as the Holy Spirit reveals to us more of where we're falling short, where we're sinning, and shows us where we need to change how we think and how we act. First, I want to talk to those of us who have already made that decision to follow Jesus. I don't know if some of you caught the challenge that Jeremy gave us in his talk a few weeks back, but it's been playing on my mind. Jeremy suggested that some of us have not seen breakthroughs in our lives due to the lack of true repentance. That pierced my heart somewhat. Then I asked myself, well, what does that mean? What do I actually need to do to truly repent and see breakthrough?" And I don't know about you, but in that sort of situation, I try and look around to see if I can see somebody who models that, who models what true repentance looks like. And I think we have a great example here in our own church. I can't spot him right now. Where is he? Disappeared. But the, the guy I'm thinking of is Jesse. Ah, I spotted you. <laughs> He's right at the back there. Jesse. Those of us who have known Jesse for a while will know some of the dramatic changes that have occurred in his life, not least of which is in his physical appearance. Jesse changed his mind about the importance of having a healthy lifestyle. And if you speak to him, it was as a realization that it was a discipleship issue. The Holy Spirit was involved in that change of mind. But Jesse, then had to implement the changes in eating and exercising to evidence that his thoughts have been truly changed. Jesse has also implemented changes in his life with regard to spiritual disciplines, especially in rhythms of life, such as observing a Sabbath. And I would thoroughly recommend a chat with him about all these things. Buy him a drink at Friday at pub church and he'll tell you all about it. When I was chatting to Jesse this Friday, I asked him if it was fair to describe these changes in his life as repentance. And he said, absolutely. And in fact, he said that the passage that describes repentance actually doesn't use the word repent at all. It's Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. which says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice Jesse also pointed out that his main change of mind was that he couldn't change his mind by himself. Renewing your mind cannot be brought about by your own willpower alone. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. This was the crux of my conversation with Jesse, that his main act of repentance was to stop trying to do what God God alone can do and start doing the things that he should have been doing, but was not doing because he was too busy trying to do God's job. I'm going to say that again. Stop trying to do things that God alone can do. And start doing the things we should be doing, but are not doing, because we're too busy trying to be God. And talk about breakthrough. The opportunities that Jesse now gets to minister to worship leaders across our movement are fantastic and you need to ask him about what happened with the Nordic worship leaders just recently. It's a great story, but I'll let him tell you that. Now I have to confess that I can see changes in Jesse and I know the things that have brought that about, but I'm definitely not there yet. One of my friends also pointed out that sometimes the Holy Spirit can be highlighting things for us, but to be honest, we're aware something's wrong, but we don't want to do anything about it yet. I don't know what's stopping me, because I know if I really had changed my mind, it would be shown by making the changes in my life. I feel very challenged by Jeremy's words and Jesse's life. And I pray that I too get to the point of true repentance. Before I move on, I just wanted to highlight the part of our passage today that promises the Holy Spirit. This was the thing that had radically changed with the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is now available to all. His work of bringing us to repentance and enabling us to live radically different lives is promised to everyone. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now let's turn to our second word, evangelism, which essentially is what Peter was doing in this passage. Jim spoke a bit about this topic last week when he talked about sharing our experiences of Jesus and inviting others to experience him for for themselves. But again, what does evangelism mean and what does it look like? The Greek words used are euanglion, I think, which means the good news, the gospel, what is actually said, euangelistes, which means the person telling the good news, the evangelist, and euangelizo, which means to proclaim the gospel, the act of sharing the good news. And I don't find these definitions particularly helpful, so I turned to try and seek out some other definitions, and this is one that I found quite helpful. It was by a guy called Sam Chan. The essence of evangelism is the message that Jesus Christ is Lord. Evangelism is our human effort of proclaiming this message, which necessarily involves using our human communication, language, idioms, metaphors, stories, experiences, personality, emotions, context, culture, locatedness, and trusting and praying that God in his sovereign will will supernaturally use our human and natural means to effect his divine purposes. The essence of evangelism is the good news of Jesus, not necessarily the methods used to communicate it or the type and size of your audience. So what it looks like can vary widely. There are lots of methods that are valid. We are a varied bunch of people in this body of Christ. And our telling of the good news will vary according to our skills, personalities, and gifts. Some will excel at communicating to large audiences. Others will specialize in making their friends stop and think. Others will be amazing apologists. But as Jim said, everyone can tell their story. And I'd like to tell you a couple of stories of my own about evangelism. The first and actually only person I have knowingly introduced to Jesus, I did totally by accident. I had just become a Christian at 13 years old, and my school friend had also just become a Christian. And we were enthusiastic about discussing our newfound faith. Anyone else we were hanging around with just had to put up with it. At that age, I was pretty sure that everyone's brain worked the same way as mine, and everybody thought the same. It's not true. I just sort of assumed that one of my other friends was a Christian. I invited her along to church, scripture union at school, and youth group. And it was about a year later when Jennifer told me that she decided to become a Christian. It came as quite a shock. (laughs) She thanked me for taking her along to all these events and introducing her to Jesus. What an honor, but it had been a total accident. I guess it took all the risk out of inviting her to long, th- long to things, just assuming she already believed. The other story I want to tell you is actually how I became a Christian. I was brought up in a Christian family and went to my local Church of Scotland. In the summers, I would visit my grandparents in Dornoch specifically go to go to the summer mission that they would have there. I've been going to their activities since I was about five years old. The, this particular year, I had just turned 13 and qualified to attend the youth events. This is a major milestone. One evening, they had a guerrilla Christian event. A panel of some of the young people on the team answering some sensible and some not so sensible questions of the youth. I suppose someone must have asked the panel how they became Christians. I don't remember all the answers, but there was one particular guy whose answer really stuck with me. He'd had a similar upbringing to mine. He'd always gone to church and Sunday school, but then had realised that he had to make a decision about Jesus for himself. He said he'd realised that you were either for Jesus or against him, and there was no fence to sit on. That had never dawned on me before that I had to make my own decision. Seems pretty obvious now, but I was 13 at the time. But I also knew that I did not want to be against Jesus, and I was in danger of trying to sit on a non-existent fence. (sighs) I went back to my granny's that night and prayed for Jesus to come into my life. It's not a particularly spectacular story, nor I think particularly unusual. There will have been hundreds if not thousands or hundreds of thousands of similar youth events all over the place. People might wonder if there's any value in them or even if what they've said at one of them made any difference. That guy didn't know the impact of his words on me. Well, not for the best part of 30 years. I don't think I had seen him since I was 13, and then he showed up at the front door of this very building to come to the KV service. He was about six foot eight and red-haired, so quite distinctive in physical appearance, <laughs> and I recognized him after 28 years. His name is Donald McEwan, and you might know him as the university chaplain. I was absolutely honored to be able to thank him after all those years later for introducing me to Jesus and changing my life. Why do I tell you those stories to illustrate the what evangelism looks like section? mainly to demystify and to really burst the intimidation bubble of the word. Including my friends in those events was just me being a friend and being oblivious. And you may never know the impact of your words when you tell people what Jesus means to you. It might take 30 years, or you might never know this side of eternity. You might have noticed that this topic has been coming up for us a few times now. I think God is pressing this pedal for us as a church. Maybe the Holy Spirit is working on us to bring about repentance, changing our mind about evangelism so that we will will stop ruling ourselves out of sharing Jesus. Let me finish by speaking briefly to anyone here this morning who hasn't decided yet to follow Jesus. It might be that the Holy Spirit is working in your life and this morning you do feel cut to the heart. Can I urge you to repent? Not with any negativity, but simply to change your mind and ask Jesus to be Lord of your life. It's not what you're turning from, it's who you're turning to. And we, can, we can't recommend him highly enough. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and experience God for yourself. It may be that you're interested or just curious. Can I encourage you to bug the life out of whoever has brought you here this morning? Ask them the questions. They might not have all the answers. In fact, we genuinely don't have all the answers, but we can tell you what Jesus means to us, what we've experienced. And I invite you to ask God to show himself to you so you can experience him for yourself. If either of those scenarios apply to you, please come forward for prayer shortly. Members of our home groups will be delighted to pray with you. And if there are some of you that are feeling the Holy Spirit's nudge this morning, that there is something he would love to help you change your mind about, that you would like to repent over, why don't you make the first evidence of that repentance, stepping up and receiving prayer this morning? Again, It's not what we're turning from, it's who we're turning to. Please stand and I'll pray for us. Holy Spirit, thank you for all you've been doing this morning. (coughs) Through worship, through words and pictures, through your word. I pray you would continue now to do your work amongst us. We invite you here to change lives. We surrender to you. Have your way. Amen.